All right, here we are. This is Rob here from Rob's School of Music with the legend, Mr. Billy Shane. Thank you so much for being here. Um, My pleasure. This is, this is uh, you know, at the top of the list of people I was hoping to get to have a conversation with. Um, oh, I'm glad to, glad to hear you say that. Thank you. I, I believe maybe 12 years ago or 13 years ago at NAM, I met you. And I lost my mind then, so I'm, I'm happy to get long form. <laughs> I hope you found it by now. I'm looking for it. I don't know if it was ever there, but <laughs> so we are. We are a music school. Um, we we did all of our lessons in person, obviously, until COVID came. Um, now everything is online. Yep. We've been doing these interviews weekly for about the past 15 weeks or so, just trying to uh, make the world a little bit smaller for all of our students. Great. I'm glad you guys are uh, moving forward. Thanks. Thank you. So um, the first question I wanted to ask you, this one um, is kind of what I like to start off with because I feel like it's probably the most unique in responses. Um, a lot of our students are beginners, uh, younger, not so much in age always, but just younger in their musical experience. Mm -hmm. And one of the cool things we do back when you could do it is we would assemble them in bands and book them shows be it at like a street festival or a local bar or something. So they get a constant opportunity to perform. And That's great. Thank you. Um, stage fright, anxiety, these are things that people deal with. Do you have any tips in overcoming uh, stage fright? Well, uh, when I first began, it was uh, I was kind of a, a little bit shy on stage. You know, I kind of stood, stood there and I played my thing. And until I got the kind of confidence that I knew I was playing the right thing, and I had a couple moves that I thought, you know, that people responded to. They said, oh, uh, do that again, you know, that is a little thing. So I think your competence on your on how, how well you can play is, is certainly one factor, but there are many, of course. Uh, understanding psychologically, a lot of people are, you know, they're just, they're just scared. Uh, uh, speaking in front of people is listed high on the list of the things people are most frightened of. And, uh, you know, remember that there's, you know, the people out there are your friends and they want to hear you play and it's good. I mean, that's a, you know, but, but that might not sink into your head when you get up there. Yeah, they may be my friends, but I'm so scared. It's a funny thing. how Your mind will kind of work against you sometime. Well, the thing you can do that will really uh, uh, give you some confidence is really go over those songs a million times. Make sure you got them cold, that you can... Uh, and you can start to bring in people in your rehearsal room. Back in the in my day, we'd rehearse in a garage or a basement somewhere. And uh, the complete change in the band would occur when somebody would come over and sit down and listen to us. The whole, everybody would stand different, look different, and think different. And that was just one guy. And then a couple of people, and it was a whole other thing. So maybe you can start to gradiently go into it where, you know, uh, wherever you're rehearsing, Bring bring a couple people in to, to to listen. Don't bring anybody in initially, just the band. Uh, even crew or sound guys, okay, the monitors are set. Okay, could you go now? Because we got to – and really be – and, and you, when you're in private with the band, you can really start to find your spot. You're not worried about anybody watching you. You're worried about this here, this here, this here, the sounds you're making, the remembering the lyrics. Then once you got it, bring somebody in, and you'll notice a change in the dynamic. Uh, when we played live later on, we'd be at a club and there would be a big stage and a giant dance floor in front of us. Then in the dark around the dance floor were all the tables and chairs and everybody was seated. 
and the place is jam-packed, but you can hardly see the people. So we're up there on stage, minding our own business, playing songs. Two girls would get up in front and start dancing, you know, maybe two, two attractive young ladies. And, and as a band, we'd all suddenly be like, Argh! and the people later on, they told us they were laughing their asses off at us because we were, you know, making goofs of ourselves because there's girls dancing in front of us. Now we wanted to show off and stuff like that. So it's interesting how musicians respond to an audience, how an audience responds to a musician. And related to that later on is when you do get the confidence, you're in front of a big crowd and they're, and they're digging it and they're, they're into it. Man, it pushes you to a level of playing that you never knew you had. You'll do things that you never thought you could do before. It just pushes you into a, a, an energy and a level of ability that uh, is hard to get unless you are in front of a crowd that's, that's, that's there for you. So it's, it's, it's always an interesting dynamic, all related to stage fright to some degree. But uh, I think for, for many years they said, well, remember, no one's ever been uh, attacked and killed on stage. But, but that was years ago. By now, I think it probably might have happened a couple times, sadly to say. Uh, so, but don't worry about things like that. Uh, I think uh, it, with time, it all comes. And that's an important thing. And I did. Uh, I'm over 5,000 lifetime gigs. Wow. A lot of shows. And we used to, back in the day, we played, we did three shows in one day, full show, set up, play, tear down, set up, play, tear down, three times. Uh, we played 21 nights in a row. That was our record for, for back then. And all those nights were four sets of 50-minute uh, sets of music. So we played a lot. And, and I'm very lucky to have been grown, to have grown up in a time when we had so much live music and so many places to play and so many bands was just that on deck experience which is so important later on it's important in songwriting it's important in the business that you do uh it's so important to your success that the time spent on stage so as much time as you can spend up there the better so the the, the stage fright will will drift away trust me Awesome. Thank you. That's fantastic advice, really. that That's kind of the, the reason why we're always trying to get them playing. Just get over that hump. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm, I jump around my ADD. Sure thing. Uh, what, what was it for you, the first um, record or first concert that you attended and you're like, that's it. That's what I want to do. Well, I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, which is on TV at that I first USA premiere. Now, I found out through the years that I wasn't the only one, but that was the show that launched millions of of musicians, literally millions. And and then, as I've come to find out in recent years, uh, the uh, it was not just in the USA and England. It was in Germany and Italy and the Philippines and Korea and Australia and South America. There was all kinds of musicians were launched by the Beatles that's why sometimes there's some controversy. Yeah, you think the Beatles were all that good? You know, hold on a second. They changed. They literally changed the world. And uh, in Buffalo, New York, my hometown, stores that were selling furniture pushed a bunch of cou couches out of the side and set up a, a amps and guitar sales area because it was just booming so much. It was just crazy. But that's. But my first concert I saw, where I really saw it uh, in for real life, was uh, Jimi Hendrix. Wow, and that's a great way to start. That when I was pretty young, maybe 15 or 16, we got to see Jimi Hendrix play, and that was mind-blowing. It was just, you know, he was Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And so after that, I really 
I, I, I just felt like there was so few limitations anymore that the, the, there's a world of possibility here. This is a bass, he plays guitar, but still a similar mindset. And uh, that was really the beginning of so much for me. And, and uh, I got in all kinds of music too, not just one thing. That's another thing that separates my, I'm an old guy, so my generation was different. We listened to everything, classical music, folk music, Bob Dylan, uh, the monkeys, you know, everything, everything you can imagine. There was no battle line between genres. Everybody was into it. And they'd have unusual concerts where they'd have, where they'd have different bands playing together that now would never work. The audience would be booing one band and throwing stuff at the other. And, you know, it, it wouldn't work. But they had, uh, I saw the uh, Aerosmith open for the Mahavishnu Orchestra, which what? is mind-blowing. the ends of the spectrum. I went to see the New York Dolls. Uh, Mop the Hoople and uh, oh, there's the third, oh, uh, 10 years after, I think. Crazy, crazy combination, but it was cool because people were into all kinds of music. So, uh, that Hendrix uh, uh, show was the thing that really uh, I knew what I wanted to do when I saw the Beatles, I, that's what I wanted, but it wasn't quite focused yet. When I saw Hendrix, I go, Now, okay, we're, we're, on, we're on the way. That's a pretty sick one-two punch of, uh, <laughs> that's probably the best answer yet. So thank you. Great, great. Um, okay. So then as you progressed, um, something that we kind of, I don't want to say force upon the students here, but uh, theory and, and understanding music outside of, you know, you know, rocking is incredibly important, but at the same time, I think it's important to understand why that sounds good. Um, mm -hmm. When you first started, were you, just super immersed in music as a whole, where you was theory something that came later? How, how does, what's your thoughts on that? I'm still waiting for theory to come. So I still haven't now. And most music schools don't like it when I say this, but I gotta be honest. I mean, I didn't, I don't know any theory and I can't read. Uh, most guitar players and many great, great musicians. Oscar Peterson is a famous jazz pianist. I don't believe he, uh, be read or new theory. I'm not sure. I might be wrong on that. I love that. That's great. Uh, but uh, uh, there's a lot of great players that don't do that, but they have their kind of their own thing that they figured all out and they are tireless and relentless uh, uh, innovators and workers. So in a way they are expending the amount of energy you would need to expend to learn that by creating their own thing. Uh, I wish I knew theory. I really do. I know I play with a couple of guys here and there that are grandmasters. So I'm lucky I could say, uh, oh, you know, hey, uh, Tony McAlpine. Tony, what's this chord? He goes, oh, it's an E 11th with a flat end. You know, I, oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, but uh, the one good thing about not being uh, uh, trained in uh, music theory, notation, whatever, is you really have to get your ears together. Yes, yes. And one great thing about getting your ears together is when you're playing with other musicians, you hear what they do, you can adjust accordingly. That's why jams, when they're right, sometimes it's just everybody playing at the same time. But a jam where you actually work with each other and you listen to each other can be magical. It can, and amazing songs can be born from that as well. So uh, uh, I'm just now, before I got on with you, uh, we're doing vocals for uh, a record. 
and the singer is singing and he's got a lot of sharps and flats and I have to buy ear because I'm not there. Just know, know what note is wrong. And I, and I, and the engineer commented tonight that he was, he was glad I was there because he wouldn't have been able to figure it out. But uh, sometimes you said to be able to, to figure out with your ear what's going on. So by ear, and I'm mostly uh, built around a major scale. Don't worry me, Faso, let you know. But I know the major scale from here to here on this bass, every permutation of it. I know the modes. I don't know what the names of them are, but I play them all the time, and I use the shapes all the time. Uh, the uh, Eventually, just kind of by I absorb theory here and there, and I don't know how long I remember it for, but 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 it, initially as things starts to happen with my playing where a guy who knows theory goes, well, what, what, how did you, how did you know to do that? And it, originally it all came from ear. It didn't start on paper. It all came from ear. Then we needed a way to write it down so somebody else could get it. And that's when notation started. So initially it was all ear. Now when things got more complex, it would be difficult to hum somebody uh, a, a, a list piano uh, concerto or a uh, uh, Debussy uh, Daphnis et Chloe. You need, you got to write that down because there's no way you'd be able to hum the parts to someone, have them hear and remember them like you can in a rock song. Way complex uh, music. But uh, the, the, the ear uh, is sometimes uh, neglected a little bit. So if you have a balance of both, Man, and I know, again, other players, I mentioned Tony before, Tony McAlpine, the guitar player I played with. His ear is, I mean, you hit any, like like the top string is like a, like a little, it'll go, it'll go uh, A flat, and they check it out and go, it's, it's an A flat, it's unbelievable. He, he, and he can sit down and do real classical piano, Chopin and all that. Then he picks up an electric guitar and say, Tony, it's like a, a key of C, like a, and bang, he's got it. Because his ear and his theory are are meshed together. Another good bass player, Jeff Berlin, brilliant player, uh, knows everything about theory. And uh, also his hands and ear are just spectacular. So when you get the combination, it's great. So I would uh, uh, advise your students to follow what works best for you. If the if the you, you need a great teacher, and I, I, that's why I'm glad, Rob, you have a passion for teaching music. So they're in good hands, I trust. So uh, I'm sure you will make sure. When, when teaching theory gets uh, difficult, you gotta troubleshoot it. Just like if you gotta play this one thing and you can't do it, there's a way to troubleshoot it so you can play it. Similar with learning anything, troubleshoot it. What, what is it you don't, you're not getting? What is not making sense to you? Dig in there, find it, fix that, and move on. And combining that with your uh, theory, uh, you can really be unstoppable. And people who really have no both, it's great. But most uh, most rock guitar players and most bands, I don't think I've ever seen sheet music right. in, in, a, in any record I've done. One time I did a record with great jazz pianist Chick Corea, wrote a song for a band I play in called Niacin. And I learned it all. They sent me the, uh, the, the music and I learned it all by ear. I had it down. Then they decided to change it part. I thought, uh oh. And uh, so they're writing it down in, in notation, and they put a music stand up to me and, and, and put it on there. And uh, there's an old joke, how do, you, how do you get a rock musician to turn down 
put sheet music in front of them because, because you don't know. But fortunately, I heard them practicing it. And while they were practicing it, like I said before about listening to other players, I knew where they were going with it. And then one like, one guy said, I, I didn't think you read music. And I go, I don't. I, I faked you guys out completely. <laughs> we, we managed to record it, no problem. But, yeah, a good balance between the two, I always recommend. But ears are, are – uh, sometimes the, the readers and the music theorists get a little snooty about it because they know all this uh, academic stuff and all about the theory of it and the guy's name, who did that, who you know, but it comes down to you, the audience, and what you have between you. However you get that, 100%. in whatever manner, is good. I absolutely love that answer because we have – you know, what we'll do with the theory is we, if you're a guitarist, we'll teach you, you know, this hybridized guitar theory where it's just to fill in those gaps because a lot of the students, um, one of the school, one of the public schools that we have a lot of students from, they have a uh, AP music theory class that these kids take. And I watch them systematically come in with this great feel, ears, everything. Then they get the theory class. And now all of a sudden there's walls up. Whereas, yeah. well, no, no, this, this has to be this way. I'm like, well, why? It sounded great last week, but now you know it doesn't work. Who cares, you know? So yeah, because uh, there, there are, um, especially in the jazz world, there's all kinds of freedom to do anything imaginable and figure it out later why it works in theory. Because, you know, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do work because that's kind of how our ears hear music and it makes sense. And almost every song we have is built on pretty close to that scale or some slight variation thereof. Yep. So almost any song in popular music is going to be found in those notes. The chords are going to be combinations of those notes. And it's just a matter of once you know that it, 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 it uh, helps you expand yourself. Uh, and uh, theory is, uh, is almost an unlimited amount of theory you can learn. Just like, a, like in any subject, like in nuclear physics, there's probably no limit. Well, I know all, everything there is to know about nuclear physics. See you later. You know, there's no, that doesn't actually, there's always more to know, always more to discover. They're always discovering something they didn't know before. Right. And uh, that's what music is about too. Every student or player watching this, there's so much more for you to know. There's so much more. And that, don't take that as a, a drudgery, like, oh man, there's so much more I have to know. It's exciting. Uh, it's exciting, and you'll find this new thing. I'll be driving around in my car, and I go, "Oh wait, I can't wait to get home on my on my base because I got this. I got an idea, you know." And I sit down and figure it out, and uh, it's it's exciting. I've been playing over fifty years, and I still get excited about picking up and playing. That's okay. it. That's pretty cool. That's inspiring because that that's I'm the kind of guy if I go on a vacation and I don't have access to a guitar for like more than a day, it's like you know, same thing. and something's wrong, and Yep. Where's the nearest music store? I need to touch it. <laughs> yeah, every time I go to home to my family or Italy to my wife's family, and I always got a, a soft bag and a bass. Like, what are you bringing the bass for? And I go, because I have to have it. Right, right. It's fine. Right. Awesome. Um, so I, I was, you know, in preparing for this, I, I just was looking through the, you know, all the insane guitarists that you have you know been on records with from Vi to Gilbert to Cotton to Bumblefoot um you're you you shred on the bass in 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 a similar way with the tapping and all that stuff how, how did you develop those techniques well when I saw I saw ZZ Top in 1974 opening for Alice Cooper on New Year's Eve now if you go back prior to 76 or 77 
you'll never see anybody. Well, there's a couple of guys. I got one guy from the 40s from Italy. He did that. There's a couple other people. There's nothing new under the sun. It doesn't matter how popular it gets. But nobody was doing that. And I saw Billy give his. What? We all looked at each other. Unbelievable. How can you can touch and make a note? Unbelievable. So I got home and, you know, the first couple of times. Then found out, how can you press down? You pull off. Another one happens. And then it goes crazy. So um, I started doing that in clubs in my and uh, certain songs. Uh, we played on three piece band, and uh, back back in the day, so there's no keyboard and no rhythm guitar player. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to be played, but there's only a bass guitar and drum. So we play as a, a famous song by uh, Kansas, "Carry On Wayward Son." And a do 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 da and there'd be a keyboard do do da do 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 da do 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 do. So I'd go. And I'd hit all the extra things that weren't the bass parts, but it saved us from having to hire a keyboard or rhythm guitar player. And back then, if you made a hundred bucks a night, that's thirty-three dollars each. You got a fourth guy, and it's only $25 each in the band, and uh, it goes down from there. So that was uh, somewhat of our motivation, but uh, nevertheless, it forced me to have to learn a lot of stuff. So when I got that hammer-on thing, that was helpful to do uh, uh, certain, like I would have to do a solo once in a while, uh, like a keyboard solo or a second guitar solo. I'd do it on bass while the guitar player would just chunk rhythm along. So we'd be more accurate to how the arrangement of the song actually was, the copy song that we were doing. Deep Purple, that song called Burn, there's a keyboard solo in it. I would do that. Play the, play the keyboard solo uh, so we would have all the parts of the song as, as we should. So um, I started incorporating that into my playing, and I was a somewhat busy player because we were a three-piece band. There was a lot of room to move. Uh, and I would imply chords. Uh, for the guitar player to solo over rather than just a single and make sure to get that make sure to get to imply that it's a g minor chord so when he's soloing it makes more sense things like that and then uh i, I just went on from there when i started to work with uh uh guitar players uh in la uh we started doing things together uh with steve Vai, we started playing some things that were uh uh, in unison, uh, on the on the first David Lee Roth record, there was a song called uh, uh, "Elephant Gun," and uh, there's a stop in it. And Steve did this wacky, crazy lick in the stop. And then we start up again. And David Lee Roth was upstairs. We were practicing in his basement. He come downstairs and goes, "Wow, that's good. It sounds like a that sounds like a chorus. No, or it sounds like a verse. Let's hear a chorus." He go back, come back. Oh, okay, good chorus. So he came down. And he heard that lick, and he goes, "Wow, Steve, that's cool." He goes, "Billy, you double it." Uh oh, so it was, which wasn't my, it's a different technique because guitar's got thin little strings and you can, you can hammer on like that, but on bass, you gotta, you gotta hit it really hard. So I managed to get it. And, and uh, so it was an interesting challenge sometimes that too. And a lot of guitarists had to double me too. Like a lot of the lines on the eat him a smile. I played the line and Steve played on top of me afterwards. So, uh, so it was kind of a back and forth working with each other. 
I'm mostly about drummers. Most bass players should be, but I've also been very uh, honored and uh, thankful to play with great guitar players. And uh, each one is different. Each one has their strengths and their, their features and their interesting aspects. And uh, uh, sometimes you, as a bass player, you pull way back and let them do their thing. Once in a while you step up and do a little interaction maybe. Uh, but uh, it's just an interesting thing to work with uh, 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 guys of that caliber and not back off because I'm a bass player. I guess I couldn't play that fast, right? I go, well, wh why not? You know, and then you'd sure enough, you'd be able to play some hyper speed fast, uh, like a, some sweet pick. Into that harmonics. All that stuff, some crazy stuff. Uh, so uh, uh, it was just an addition to what the band could feature if you could have the players working together. I never heard that door. It must, must be somebody in my back door. Yeah. I never heard that. There's a delivery here of some kind, but I'll just bring it next door. It's okay. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, it's been great to play with some amazing uh, guitar players and amazing drummers too. I play with some of the greatest, and they're all, that, I'm all about the drums as a bass player. Now, any bass players here uh, watching, any of your students or anyone watching in, bass and drums, they got a lot together. I'm in my home studio now. I'm doing a lot of tracks for people around the world. They send me the Pro Tools files. They want bass on it. And I, so I play to the drums. And then a couple of times I'll say, oh, that's great. Now we're going to replace the drums. I go, no, 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 no. If you replace the drums, I got to play again because you got to lock in exactly. No, but he'll play exactly like that. And I guess, no, it's, it's just, you got to, it's got to be, when they do a sound check, what do they check first? The drums. You're doing a recording in the studio, what do you set up first? The drums. It's all built on the drums. So bass is the next instrument up. Now we're the layer of, uh, layer of sound above the drums that connects, bass connects time and pitch. Right. We know what, we know what the beat is. What, what key are we in? We're in A minor. Now we know, and then the guitars, chords, vocals uh, is built on that sonically, not necessarily. That's how it works at writing. Oh, yeah. oh my God, Scott! That is really got yeah. a couple of pieces out there. Yeah, I'm gonna go yell at him. Give me one second. Apologies. <laughs> okay. Sign on the door that says "Bring it next door" if the door is locked, and this guy <laughs> just the words. All right on. My apologies. That's the first time that's that's happened in, in all of these interviews. So I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, so where were we? What what else you got for me? Um, so uh, you're playing your beautiful signature bass here. Um, a couple, you know, I've had Andy Timmons on and a couple other Ibanez artists. Um, but no one who has designed a signature bass. So when uh, Yamaha, yeah. brand, when, you, when you're working together, what was uh, what was that process like? Down to the pickups, you know, what, what's going on? Well, my original bass is here. Let me grab it for you. Hold on a second. This is uh, a famous bass. It's been on the cover of Vintage Guitar Magazine, been on the... Fold out of Guitar World. 
So my original, we refer to it as the wife, my original P base that I started with. Uh, it's the only thing original is the body, most of the pickguard and the ground wire, which is a little wire that goes to prevent it from buzzing. It's got a different neck, a Telecaster neck, cool. which, which are big and fat. Uh, hip shot detuner, drop the low E down to a D. Uh, I added this big fat pickup here. It's a Gibson EBO pickup because when I was young, there was basically the two most uh, uh, famous or most widely used bases was Gibson or Fender. I was like that for a long time. And the Gibson ba bases had this big fat pickup here. It was super bassy. And then the Fender, regular Fender pickup was a normal standard tone. So uh, this bass was most of my career up until about 1990 or 91. Then it pretty much got retired, but it's still here. All the wear is 100% natural. You see them now, they sell uh, instruments that are already yeah. beat up. <laughs> you pay more for a beat up instrument now. Yeah, it's cheating. <laughs> yeah, but it's all original. It's been sweated on so much that I won't, I'm sorry to gross everybody out, but it's, it's actually salty. And the salt was... <laughs> from yours truly. So when we did, we started with Yamaha, we wanted to uh, do an updated version of that because that was beat uh, and I didn't know how long it would last and I'd want to have it on the road and maybe lose it or get it stolen or lost in luggage or broken. So I retired it because it's valuable to me. And we began the Yamaha Attitude, which has all the same features on modern, done right, uh, done properly. Because when I put the pickup in, that silver pickup I showed you, I did it on the living room floor with a chisel. My mom had to vacuum up the, the pieces and I didn't know how to wire it. So I wired it my own wacky way. And uh, so, but now this is a, they just did a 30 year anniversary of this base. Pardon me one more time. I'll get one more illustration for you. So uh, 30 years ago, I started with Yamaha and we started with that attitude base. And now, so they made a 30 year, anniversary version, which is just like my P-Base was, same color, same pickguard, a chrome pickup here, not the same exactly, but it's, it represents it. The neck is roasted or baked, they, they say, kind of artificially aged, and it's a gorgeous dream uh, of an of a instrument. So this is now uh, from 30 years at Yamaha, this is the 30th anniversary, this is a prototype for it. It'll be out uh, possibly in October, but I'm not sure because the whole virus thing's got everything slowed down. But we, uh, so that was the full, that's full circle now. Now the attitude base is paying a little tribute to its great grandmother, uh, my, my old P base there. That's incredible. So 30 I've years been, your model. Congrats. I've been with Yamaha for since, uh, I think for even longer than that. I started with them in 84. So it's been a long, long time. And the and the attitude basis started, I think, in '89 or '90. So we've we've been around uh, quite a quite a long time together, and it's great qualities, but it's not cheap though. But it is a base of a lifetime, just like that P base is still with me today, and I could still use it. This thing I could use for one could use for decades, and it's not only just for me and my sound and my thing. Anybody that likes a P base, they they generally love this. The added pickup, if you like the super deep low end sound. Uh, it's just great for that to mix it in or use it on its own. So yeah. it's stereo it's, out. Say again. Well, yeah. uh, kind of dual out. See, when I did the original P bass, I didn't know how to wire two pickups together for a switch. 
So I decided to just put two chords in. Wow. And people said, why did you put a stereo chord in? How stupid. Because if you're in some little town in upstate New York and it's 12 midnight and your chord breaks, the likelihood of finding a stereo chord is very small. So another mono chord would be easy to find. Plus, there was a psychological uh, benefit that I didn't realize at the time until years later. The people see the two chords coming out of the bass, uh, just people that don't know about music or instruments, they think, wow, that's, that must be twice as powerful. It's got two chords coming out of it. So in a way, there's kind of a, a psychological advantage to that, too. But because sometimes you hear with your eyes uh, in the audience sometimes. So, uh, but yeah, this is the uh, the, the uh, Yamaha Attitude Bass. There's a Facebook page, one quite big one, and there's a couple others uh, that just have uh, Attitude uh, owners and users. They change parts. They talk about modifications and stuff. It's quite a little community we have. It'll be topped off by the uh, the 30-year anniversary version. What made you do that scalloped uh, spots on the fingerboard there? Yeah, scalloping is where if you can get this close, you see the wood is shaved away on these. Now, when you're bending a string, your fingers can touch the wood. See how they're, they're rubbing against the wood. With the scallop, you can bend without any. So on this bass, uh, this is it goes up to a high E note, which is a huge advantage. The, the P bass only goes up to an E flat. And since most rock songs are an E, that's helpful. I can bend that to a high G. And I can drop the low E down to a D. And then bend the low B down to a, or low D down to a B. So I can get the same as a six string bass. So if I bend it, I can get, here's a B note. I bend it. <laughs> bend it down there. So. It saves money on strings. I don't need a five or six string bass to get the, to get those notes. But uh, yeah, this has been a, a, a wonderful companion of mine. I've got a bunch of them here, uh, different kinds through the years. We made a, a, a plexiglass red one, the color of wine for a winery dog's uh, oh. attitude bass. <laughs> My band, the winery dog. And uh, I got a couple double necks I used with Sons of Apollo. And so they've been it was a great relationship with Yama. And their quality is second to none. A lot of great bases out there. It's hard to find a bad one, really. But these here are just uh, quite, quite awesome. I'm very, very pleased to have a relationship like that with Yamaha. I always tell our beginner guitarists, if you're looking to get an instrument, get a uh, Yamaha acoustic, because at any point, right. they're just solid instruments that last oh, forever. Yeah, they and they sell a ton of them because people are hip to uh, to how awesome they are. They sound great. They use great woods. They, they, they purchase huge tracts of land in uh, Indonesia, to get the rights to the woods and to be environmentally conscious, you know, that's just going and, and take what they can get. So they replant and they, they regrow stuff. So it's a, they're very, very conscious of things like that. And the acoustic guitars are marvelous. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a PRS guy personally, but I can't, <laughs> I can't hip that to a lot of my students because they're not quite there <laughs> in terms of what they can. Yeah, they're expensive guitar. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, um, I, I had a bunch of spare parts from the old days of all my, all my old bases. And I bought a $50 neck and a $30 P base body, put my old stuff on it and slapped it together with the help of a gentleman in LA and thing plays great. Cost me a hundred bucks and the dual output, the double pickup, the whole thing. So where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs>
Um, so back to you know the, the various bands you played with over the years. Um, what was sort of like, like okay, so like the David Lee Roth project. Like how did that come together? That you know how'd you get that gig, and then how did the next gig turn to the next gig, and Mr. Big, and you know. Well, it's a, it's an interesting uh, thing that happens to a lot of musicians. Not uh, of course, not only myself, but one of the key elements of of uh, getting on that that pathway was we were uh, a local band in Buffalo and we got better and better and better and drew more and more and more people. So we were like the biggest band in town. And when a, a band would come through and they had no opening act or they needed an opening act because ticket sales were slow, we'd be the opening act. So as a result, we got all these great opening slots, a band called UFO from England and a guitar player named Michael Schenker. And they came uh, and they were touring with ACDC. And uh, they couldn't get over the border at Canada, so ACDC played alone. Then UFO came came on their own, and we opened up for them. From that, uh, Michael Schenker called me to play bass on his solo record. Never happened, but we went over there to, to do it. And then in 1983, uh, UFO called me to come do a European tour with them. So I got both of those gigs. Now, in the interim, in 1980, my band from Buffalo, Talus, we opened up for Van Halen. Because we're a hot opening act. We're start, starting to get some uh, buzz. They wanted, you always want to sell more tickets for the opening act. So they put us on the show. And uh, so I got to know the guys in Van Halen. And uh, so Dave saw me play and uh, we were, we, we, you know, we, I went, every next tour would come through. I'd go out and the crew guys would remember me. So I'd always get backstage and say hello. So I was, you know, I wasn't like their best buddy by any means, but they knew me and it was a nice relationship. And uh, so when Dave decided to leave Van Halen in 1985, I was the first guy he called. So he, so he flew me out to LA and uh, we needed a guitar player. So I, I recommended Steve Vai with a perfect choice. And uh, he came in and then Steve and I went out and found Greg Bissonette, put the band together and we started going. Now we sure we, we had a great advantage because we had, our singer was David Lee Roth. So already we had a great advantage. Uh, people would probably come just to, just to see what it was all about. You know, so we're gonna draw people. But uh, Dave was amazing, incredible, very musical guy. Uh, we had a riot on that tour, and it was a, the beginning of a, a great career for all of us. Steve I went on solo, went out to White Snake for a while, and then went on solo. He's you know just a, incredibly successful. Uh, Greg Bissonette plays with Ringo now. He's just he called me the other day. He's got to do a fill-in gig. He's got to do a, just one show with this band because their regular drummer had to go to his daughter what, daughter's wedding. What band was it? Uh, oh, it was the Eagles. Yeah, that's right. So, so we went to <laughs> yeah. the, the Eagles called them to do a show. You know, that's how that's how great Greg is, and everybody associated it, we, we did good. Now when I left David Lee Roth, I had a some momentum, so I put my own band together, Mr. Big. I handpicked the guys. They were guys that I felt would be really uh, make a great band together. A great, uh, we had a bluesy, soulful singer, Eric Martin, and uh, but we had a solid rock band with a great guitar player, Paul. Me and the drummer got along great, Pat Torpy, rest his soul. Uh, great, great, great drummer. We all sang, we all wanted to sing. It's another thing I got to tell all students you got to sing. <laughs> Even get up to that mic and croak out the background vocals as best you can. Because if you, if you sing, you know, the door opens much wider for you. Uh, if you, you can sing also, it's very important. You may not like the sound of your voice, but uh, learn and be able to hit hit the notes and sing, do your background parts, and you'll 
likely to get way more gigs than just being a player by by far. They have uh, The Voice and American Idol, and all, that, that, but that's all for just singers, though. And there's no bass players on there or guitar players. It's all about singers. So that's an important thing. So uh, through the years, you know, when we, uh, Mr. B got together, we wrote a bunch of songs at a first record, second record. We got lucky. We had a hit single, number one single. Took us all over the world, all every country. We played in all over South America and all over Europe and Russia and all over USA and Canada, South America. And uh, I said that already. Australia. Uh Japan, Korea, Philippines, Thailand, Malaysia, Indonesia, all over the place. And, uh, I recommend if you ever have the opportunity to have a hit record, do it because, man, your life will never be the same. And we are all so grateful for that experience and all the incredible people who bought our record and came to our shows. Quite an adventure it has been. Yeah, man, I tell you, it, it, it's it's so epic to to sort of see the the journey from all the different things you know a lot of the people who come through the school you know their goal is they want to be rock stars and i always try and say to them you know being a rock star is cool but there isn't a lot of longevity with being a rock star but if you can find if you know your instrument you're studious and you got your thing and you're great at your thing you can carry that to different things throughout a whole career exactly right i make the analogy that uh so, so what do you want to do with your life? I, I want to have a lot of money. I want to be rich. That's a horrible goal. That's an awful goal. If your goal is, I got this idea and I got this thing I want to do, and it's my passion, I want to do it. From that, you will probably get rich. But if your goal is to be rich, eh, you, you, you find people on Wall Street and real estate shysters and you know guys that are you know the kind of people you wouldn't want to be around. But it's a similar thing with the rock. I want to be a rock star. Well, why don't you be an amazing singer and write incredible songs that you love, that touch people, that that will fill a whole room with a, a teary eyes with a beautiful sentiment you you can sing to them. Then you've got something that can never be taken away from you and that touches so many people. You look from the outside and you think, oh, a rock star, that must be exciting. In fact, uh, when we're on tour and we're hitting it hard, I, I always say, uh, it would kill a lesser man. And I, I, we've gotten brought guys out on tour with us. It was their first time ever on a tour. And, and two weeks in, they're in the fetal position, crying for their mama, literally. It actually has happened. It's tough out there. So, the and and, and the glamour that you might see as a rock star, uh, it, it's, it's pretty fleeting. And, you know, I still have to pick up a piece of gear and coil some cables and I'll, I'll, help, I'll help our crew out you know, uh, whenever I can, uh, because they're overworked anyway. And uh, you, you have some glamorous moments. We were on The Tonight Show. I sat in chair number one on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. And my, my mom finally realized I had some success when she saw that. Uh, and and uh, Platinum Records, number one records, you know, almost killed by fans a couple of times, screaming fans. That's great. But the point of it all was to play and play great music and touch people. And uh, that they can't take away from me. You know, I may uh, may blow through all, all my money someday. Who knows? There's not, there's not much of it, but I may, could, certainly could blow through it. But they'll never take that away from me. They never take that, you know, a little uh, handwritten letter from a Japanese fan who had her English dictionary while she was writing it to explain how, you know, she was suicidal and upset and she came to see our band and she, now she has a new, uh, unbelievable. 
And this has happened dozens, if not hundreds of times from people. That's the goal. You can change the world. The Beatles changed the world. And a lot of, you know, uh, the art changes the world. That's the point of the sword. If you're, this is your art. You've got no limitations. Looking at the idea of being a rock star in comparison to that is kind of pales in my book. Yeah. Yeah. Watch that. That is just fantastic. Amazing advice there. Good deal. Yeah, man. Thank you. Um, all right. Random question time. You're all on, right. You're on a desert island. Uh, you probably kind of casually answered one part of it, but you can have one base and one M. And I always say a pedal, but I don't know if that's as applicable to a bass player. But well, we started even guitar players. It's pretty rare to have a pedal. Right. In the early days, you plugged right in, and that was it. Yeah. And now there's, you know, there's there's an acre of real estate to the pedal board, and it was quite quite amazing. Uh, I don't know. I would just take. I could take any one of my attitude bases. Uh, there's a controversy that really isn't a controversy about five and six string bases. Uh, most of the famous players and most records were made on four-string bass by a huge majority, right. probably 97 to 98%. That's that's all there is to it. Uh, if you want a six or a five-string, that's cool. Uh, if that's but but I started out on this, and that's kind of what I what I'm into. And I have a six that I have played on a couple things and needed for certain songs or whatever. Uh, but it would probably be just one of these uh, bases. And as far as an amp, I practice a lot with no amp, so I can really hear what's going on. And uh, it's kind of an interesting thing to do. I recommend it to some players because everything changes when you plug an electric instrument in. When I'm sitting here with the volume knobs down, you can hear it a little bit. All the notes are there, all the, all the sounds and harmonics. They're all there. When you plug it into an amp, we have, there's a thing called dynamic range. What's the loudest note and what's the quietest note? And when you're sitting with the bass in your lap, your dynamic range is this much. When you plug it in, it becomes that much. So the loudest notes are way too loud and the quietest notes are inaudible. So it becomes, uh, uh, to some people, that's how they want it. They want it through an amp and that's cool. But I got so used to playing it without an amp that I now adjust my amp to make it sound like there's no amp in a lot of ways with a little compression and doing a couple other moves. Not Nothing really complicated. Anybody could do it. Uh, but uh, I'd probably just be a, I guess, an, uh, I got these great hard key amps. They've never failed me. So I'd know that it would never break while I was on that desert island. I'd be without an amp. So they're, they're very reliable. Uh, I played an SVT for years, Ampeg. Uh, very nice. And I just bought a 1967 Baseman Fender Basement amp, which was the standard for years. It was the basement amp that bass players use. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a uh, very, very popular. So uh, not a, not a huge preference there on the amp, but uh, my, my, uh, one of my trusty attitudes and whatever makes it a little louder. All right. Fair enough. Um, I see a comment coming in here. There's lots of people asking stuff, but this person is saying, uh, yeah, signature pickups coming out. Yes, uh, absolutely. And they are on the, uh, I put a set on the anniversary base. Now, if you see as the light shines on this, the pickups are rounded. Yeah. They're contoured so that when they're together, they make the same 
curve as the neck. So you get them up nice and close to the strings. And you see a stand-up bass player play it. He's always playing over the neck. The big giant stand-up bass, and the neck goes way down into it. You see their fingers are always over the neck because there's something under their fingers all the time. There's something that the, the finger can't overshoot or undershoot because it's playing on the, on the neck. So there's all, always that underneath that. So the pickups are, in a way, an extension of that. There's something that's underneath your fingers. Since they're nice and close to the strings, a lot of times they're very sharp edges. And, uh, and normally uh, uh, pickups are totally flat. So I had to start to file them down to make them fit. I filed them and covered them with epoxy and then sanded off all the sharp edges and did all this stuff to them. So finally I went to Larry DiMarzio from DiMarzio Pickups and said, Larry, here's what I do. Could you make a pickup like that? already so i wouldn't have to do so much work and so he larry's a genius and he got on it and not only did he do it like that he added all these other features to it that are just spectacular so i just got my first shipment of a couple of them i sent one set off to a dear friend of mine who's a kind of a base guru to get his opinion on what he thought about them and i'm gonna i'm gonna saturday i'm gonna have a guy shooting video and show and i'm gonna install a set on a base and just show what how and why so eventually on Facebook or Instagram or the DeMarzio website, that video will be there, pardon me, for you to see. So you can see a full explanation, not only of the pickup, but why it is the way it is. Awesome. Because like I explained before, I played so much and so many gigs that most everything that's on my bass or in my amp has a real practical purpose from decades of being on stage knowing what you really need to know, what you need to have and what you don't need to have. And that rounded off pickup thing is become such a, uh, a hit. Even before the DeMarcius came out, I had a bunch of websites showing people how to epoxy your pickups and round them off like that. But now thanks to Larry, he's done it for us. So it makes it a lot easier, but yeah, thank you for asking about the DeMarcius pickup. It's going to, it's going to be uh, coming very, very soon. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Yeah. 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 Really, really smart. What's that? The rounded, the rounded pickup. Yeah. Very smart. Because normally you pick up a brand new bass and their edges are sharp. And and for me, I'm, I play hard and my hands are all over this. Uh, so I need to have everything rounded off. Like a lot of times you have little, those little tiny switches. We had one here, but we got rid of it and put it here instead within the, the control because that, that catches your hand and you're, you're, you're bleeding for sure. So we try to make it comfortable. So as you're playing, you, you won't lose any blood or lose less blood anyway. <laughs> awesome. Well, I got one more question. Um, this is, this is where I like to end this. A lot of, you know, students, they know us as musicians. They know us as what we are. Music, one dimension. But no one's one dimensional. Everyone has things outside of music that they're into, be it they collect watches or cars or things, they read books, they like to cook. Um, is there anything outside of music that you fill your time with? Not much. I'm mostly all, all about that. A lot of my spare time is spent on my iTunes collection. But I collect music from all over the world, every every bootleg, every uh, studio outtake of the Beatles and the Stones and David Bowie. And I got the, uh, over two terabytes of iTunes music, very specialized. I specialize in two things. 
the most amazing music you'll ever hear by the unbelievable artists you may have never even heard of, and the worst music that has ever been recorded ever. And it's funny because some of the worst music has a charm to it. It's interesting to hear people be horrible and see the mistakes they made and learn from why, 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 does, why does everyone laugh when this comes on? I get it now. But, uh, but there's a real charm to some of that too. So a lot of research in music and songwriting. I like a lot of classical music. I listen mostly to classical music if I'm not listening to something I'm working on. Uh, but we do a little cooking. We got a great kitty cat named Rebel who, uh, sadly, we had uh, trouble with him. Uh, we, we had a party here and someone brought some lilies. And I had no, I've had cats my whole life. I never knew that lilies are deadly poisonous to oh, cats. And I've had cats with lilies before. I never had a problem. But our cat was getting listless late at night. And I looked up and sure enough, within 72 hours, they can die of kidney failure if they get exposed to a, a lily. Just walk past it and get the pollen on their fur and lick it off. That's all it takes. So he had to be in the hospital for four days. He didn't really get all that sick. It was just as a precautionary thing. They flushed the system out. So he's home now. We're happy. And our little rebel, he's our little, uh, he's, a, he's a wild man. He's a, an incredible cat. So we take good care of him. And we got raccoons and wildlife to come to our house here in Tennessee. We put food out for the raccoons at night. And we got... We had eight of them one night. They they come from all over. So in rack on the raccoon internet, we must we're getting lots of hits on our website because they they're showing up every night. It's pretty cool. But I uh, and mostly music, mostly all music or music related. It's funny. That's awesome. I mean, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It, it's so it's so all encompassing. Yeah, um, it is. It, it's really cool to hear the passion when you're talking about it. You know that that's very infectious. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I never really had any natural talent. Uh, I'm a good troubleshooter. If, uh, you know, I got to play. How do I do that? And, and believe me, I started out. You know, I started like every student. You see, beginner students, look at both hands to make sure. And I started out like that and like everybody else. And I just uh, applied myself, uh, got relentless, and I loved it. And I figured it out, figured out right-hand technique, because there was really no one to teach right-hand technique on electric bass. It's a whole new subject, really, uh, and different ways of doing things. And uh, I, I, But I, that, that, that passion I have for that is my, I consider my greatest gift, that unrelenting desire to improve and to explore and extend this adventure as far as as I can, which is to infinity uh, ultimately. So there's no there's no stop. So that's the thing I'm I'm most thankful for that I have that inside me. And if you have that inside you for music, you you're gonna have a wonderful life. You may not be rich, but you will be rich in so many other ways. And uh, I sit around, grab a guitar, couple people. And just start singing and playing and harmonizing. And, and we always end up having a riot. And it's the greatest time. And there is, you know, I, I've been very lucky to have some success in the music business. And I was well paid for that. Thank you all very much. But uh, the real pay was when you're, you're hanging and playing and the satisfaction you get that you can do what you set out to do and play what you play. Uh, Sometimes uh, guys email me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s now. I don't want to, you know. I said, well, you can play. 
why not get the guitar? Get, call your buddies over. And sure enough, I got an email four months later. Yeah, we got together. got a got a keg of beer and I got the drummer. And we we know forty songs now. We have a ride every Sunday. The neighbors come around. It's a blast. It's a ride. It's so much fun, and uh, it's good for your mind too. There's a great uh, book called "This Is Your Brain on Music," a uh, brilliant book that explains how, what music does to the way you think and how you remember and recall things and how you problem solve. It is, it's there's so many benefits to it. So uh, I'm I'm forever grateful that I have that that burning desire to, to, to go. Uh, and I'll come down here. The cat will wake me up at three o'clock in the morning and I'll say, now come down to my little studio here and I'll go, go till six in the morning. Just practicing. I get my, my iPhone, put it on selfie video and videotape my new ideas and my new licks. And I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And then uh, by the time it's time for breakfast, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to start playing and writing now. I've just spent enough time uh, adventuring around. So there's no limit to it. And I, I'm so glad, Rob, that you have a school like this and that you have students uh, that you're, uh, you know, being their caretaker in their in their exposure uh, to music uh, because uh, you have a lot of passion for this. I do. We try to give that to other people. And when that little fire catches, you get a little spark in us. But to get it close to that gasoline-soaked uh, mind of a young person, man, there's nothing you can't do. There's nothing out of your range. Nothing is impossible. And, uh, you know, I, I, Steve Vai told me a great uh, thing that Frank Zappa said to him is he has two rules. Rule one, don't stop. Rule two, keep going. I love that. <laughs> I can't turn the camera, but literally sitting in front of me on a dry erase board, it literally says, keep going. Beautiful. I swear to you, because that's, that's our whole, you know, thank you so much for the kind words. That That's our mission statement here. It's never Beautiful. too late. If you want it, we'll take you as far as you want to go. You know, there, if there's a will, there's a way. And, uh, uh, and I'm more than happy to come back at any other time in the future because uh, when you get a new wave of students or some of the old ones want to want to continue on and I'm easily accessible. If somebody has a question to me, you can find me on my Facebook page on Instagram. I read and return all my mail. It's a, it's a gigantic task. It's a, it's a time vampire. <laughs> but, and also my, through my website, you can click email me and it comes right to me and I read it. I'll, I'll read everything. I answer almost everything. Uh, the only restriction is time. So if I can be of any help to, uh, my fellow musicians, because we're all we're all artists, and we're all here, and we all have the potential to change everything in the world. No matter what you don't like about the world, something can be done about it, and it can be done with uh, with art. Uh, no matter what where you at politically, uh, the Vietnam War in the '60s was an unpopular war, and musicians started to write about it. And guess what? The war stopped uh, in the Soviet Union under communism. It was illegal to listen to the Beatles, but kids got together in basements with illegal records. They listened to them. It was fascinating. Those kids grew up to be the generation that eventually was the end of uh, communism in the Soviet Union. So cool. Pretty amazing. It really, really is. It really, Music is magic. I believe it 100%. Um, right on. Thank you so much. Thank you for the accessibility. Um, My pleasure. My pleasure. An absolute dream come true. Um, this will exist. Uh, on the Rob School Music YouTube channel, um, and then I'll send you the info to it. But um, thank you so so much for all of this. My pleasure, Rob. And thank you for doing what you do, man. I'm, I'm glad you're out there inspiring uh, 
future uh, legends because uh, you you might have uh, two or three uh, amongst you right now you don't even know about and right. 20, 20 years from now the whole world could be talking about them it, it. yes it can it can happen they're, they're all my kids even ones that are old enough to be my parents I, you know i say you know, <laughs> kids, i look at it but I'll thank be. you billy so much stay my safe friend. um and hopefully we'll do another one of these sometime soon you got it bro thank you thank you